I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is Mehdi Hassan. A quick announcement before we start the show today. If you're in LA this coming Monday, February 10th, we're recording a special episode of Deconstructed on the massive issue of criminal justice reform and mass incarceration and racism in front of a live audience at the Writers Guild Theatre and with special, oh, very special guests, John Legend, yeah, that John Legend, and Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors. Go to the Intercept website or to my Twitter feed for details on how to buy tickets before they're all gone. And if you're not in L.A., well, make sure you tell your friends and family in L.A. about it. You do not want to miss this show. Now, on to the show. I don't believe you can truly be acquitted if you haven't had a fair and full trial. This is the first time in the history of the United States of America that the majority leader conspired to ensure there was not a fair trial. Welcome to a special early edition of Deconstructed at the end of the Senate impeachment trial. I'm Mehdi Hassan. Donald Trump is in the clear. He may be an impeached president, only the third in American history, but he wasn't convicted or removed from office on Wednesday. Nope, he was acquitted by the United States Senate, or I should say, by every single Republican senator, bar Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney changed the equation. This is now the first instance of a United States senator uh, voting to convict uh, a president of his or her own party. That was the voice of Democratic Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii, who's one of my guests on the show today, as is the Democratic Senator from Oregon, Jeff Merkley, both of whom, like every other Democrat, voted to remove this president from office. But they failed, and Trump lives to fight another day. So now what? What does this all mean? The Senate, having tried Donald John Trump, President of the United States, upon two articles of impeachment, exhibited against him by the House of Representatives and two-thirds of the senators present not having found him guilty of the charges contained therein. It is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby, acquitted of the charges in said articles. There you have it. The Senate voting to acquit Donald John Trump, 45th President of the United States, on charges of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, charges for which he was impeached in the House of Representatives. In the Senate, though, it wasn't really a trial. I mean, have you ever heard of a trial with no witnesses in it? None. Nada. Zero. In fact, it was the first Senate impeachment trial in American history not to feature any witnesses. Even though one potential witness, John Bolton, the president's own former national security advisor, one-time hero of the Republican Party, volunteered to testify in the Senate and even has a book coming out filled with his eyewitness testimony. He, by the way, says in that book, yeah, Trump did do what the Democrats accuse him of doing, of holding up aid to Ukraine in order to get the Ukrainians to investigate the Bidens. Ergo, he was not called by Republican senators. They didn't want to know. 
You remember that old saying? See no evil, hear no evil, and then do lots of evil. Republicans bent over backwards to try and defend Trump or justify keeping him in office. Yeah, he did bad things, but they're not impeachable. They're not crimes. And you have to commit a crime to be impeached and removed. A position, by the way, shared by no constitutional scholars or legal experts on this subject, with the exception of former Jeffrey Epstein lawyer Alan Dershowitz. Meanwhile, House Democrats, who I criticised on this show for not going bigger on impeachment, not going after Trump for all his other high crimes and misdemeanours, from his corruption and violation of the emoluments clause to his obstruction of justice over the Russia investigation, to his kidnapping of migrant children from their parents at the border. Those House Democrats, to be fair to them, led by Adam Schiff, did make a pretty strong case for convicting Trump over abuse of power and obstruction of Congress in relation to his attempt to extort and pressure the president of Ukraine to use US aid money to try and trigger a bogus corruption investigation into a domestic political rival. Donald Trump has betrayed his oath to protect and defend the Constitution, but it's not too late for us to honor ours, to wield our power to defend our democracy. But the whole thing was rigged from the get-go. Not just in terms of no witnesses, even when John Bolton was volunteering in the midst of the Senate trial to testify, and dodgy Trump donor and indicted Rudy Giuliani associate Lev Parnas was producing secret recordings of Trump ordering the taking out of the US ambassador to Ukraine, but also in terms of the trial itself and the quote-unquote jurors themselves, because that's what senators were supposed to be, independent and impartial jurors. They took an oath to that effect. And yet, before it even began, you had Senate Majority Leader, Republican Mitch McConnell, saying, Everything I do during this, I'm coordinating with White House counsel. There will be no difference between the president's position and our position. And Republican Senator Lindsey Graham saying, I am trying to give a pretty clear signal. I have made up my mind. <laughs> I'm not I trying wasn't to in pretend any doubt to be a point. fair juror here. Got that? jurors on tape bragging that they have no intention of being fair or impartial and that they're openly coordinating with the defendant. That's the trial we just had in the Senate. Surely a low point in the modern history of that body. I mean, first confirming Brett Kavanaugh and now acquitting Donald Trump. So what happens now? Well, giving leaders impunity, especially reckless, power-hungry rulers like Trump, has consequences and they tend not to be good ones. Do you remember what happened the day after Robert Mueller testified in Congress last July? And then nothing happened? There were no consequences for Trump? No impeachment of the president? Well, the next day, the very next day, an emboldened Trump made his perfect phone call to the Ukrainian president, asking him to investigate the Bidens. One can only imagine what the acquitted, yet still very corrupt and crooked president will be doing on Thursday, the morning after he's acquitted, who he'll be calling what he'll be demanding. It's not an overstatement. It's not hyperbole to say that American politics, American democracy is in crisis. I mean, how can a presidential system like America's survive when you have a president who isn't constrained by any constitutional checks or balances? When his own party says he can do what he likes and he won't be stopped, he won't be touched. Listen to presidential historian John Meacham speaking the other day on television. President Trump is functionally a monarch at this point. If the king does it, it's okay. That, that's what we're seeing unfold in Washington right now. But with this shameful vote, the Republicans have decided and announced to the world 
that their party is officially the Trump party, the Trump cult, that the Constitution doesn't matter, that Congress doesn't matter, checks and balances don't matter, foreign policy and national security doesn't matter. Well, Republicans with the exception of Mitt Romney. On Wednesday, the junior Republican senator from Utah, former Republican presidential candidate, decided to do the right thing and voted to convict and remove Donald Trump, becoming the first senator in U.S. history to vote to remove a president of his own party from office. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. With my vote, I will tell my children and their children that I did my duty to the best of my ability, believing that my country expected it of me. I want to say a couple of things about Mitt Romney. First off, and I never thought I'd say this, but respect to Romney. It's not easy to go against your own friends, colleagues, many of your own constituents, your own political party, especially one as intolerant and cultish as the modern Republican Party. I've been a massive and long-standing critic of Romney. I thought he ran an awful campaign against Obama in 2012, and I thought he was a bit of a hypocrite for taking money and an endorsement from Trump in 2012, then attacking Trump in 2016, then trying to get a job in the Trump administration after Trump won, and getting Trump's endorsement when he ran for the Senate in Utah. But credit where credit's due. He did the right thing today. He voted with his conscience, the only Republican to do so. Secondly, though, what's so ironic about the Romney vote is that almost immediately Don Jr., the president's fail son, took to Twitter demanding Romney be expelled from the GOP. And yet just a week ago, Republicans were clutching their pearls and pretending to be outraged when Adam Schiff referred to a CBS News report saying they were too afraid of voting against Trump because they'd been told, quote, your head will be on a pike. One of the most remarkable moments of the entire day was when Adam Schiff ended the night by saying Republicans have been told their head will be on a pike by the president if they vote against him. That is completely, totally false. And all of us were shaking our heads like, where in the world did that story come from? Well, turns out Trump and co. do indeed want Romney's head on a pike. They can't tolerate the fact that even one Republican senator voted against the absolute monarch, voted against King Trump. Look, I know it's fashionable to say that Americans don't care about impeachment. It's all very technical. It's not a kitchen table issue. It's too complicated. It's too distant from ordinary people's lives. But let me be clear. If you care about democracy in this country, if you care about accountability, the rule of law, checks and balances, the Constitution, if you care about the ongoing slide into full-blown authoritarianism and open criminality, then you need to care about what happened today. You need to be angry and outraged that this trial was rigged by a Republican party who wanted to impeach Hillary Clinton over Benghazi, but give Donald Trump, who's a thousand times more lawless and a million times more corrupt, a complete pass. So yes, please get angry. Joining me to discuss this now from Capitol Hill, where the Senate trial of Donald Trump has just ended, is Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon. Senator, great to have you back on the show. Shame it's under these circumstances. Yes, yes. Well, uh, I'm feeling the weight of this dark and tragic day. I'm looking at a screen in front of me saying Donald Trump acquitted as the banner headline on all the news sites. Uh, You've just come out of that trial and the voting. How do you feel about that? 
Well, I don't believe you can truly be acquitted if you haven't had a fair and full trial. And certainly this is a tragic day because this is the first time in the history of the United States of America that the majority leader conspired, as he put it, uh, hand in glove to work with the defendant to ensure there was not a fair trial. This is not doing impartial justice, and as every American knows, a trial is not a trial if it does not have witnesses and documents. So this was a cover-up, and it should be considered nothing more than that. Completely agree with you on your analysis of the the, the cover-up. But here's a question for you. As someone who deals uh, with Republican senators, they're your colleagues on Capitol Hill every day. Even if they'd voted for witnesses, let's say John Bolton had turned up and said, yes, the president told me last summer, hold back the aid until we get the investigations into the Bidens. Do you think that they still wouldn't have voted to acquit him? I believe that once the door was opened to all of the machinations, they were going inside among the cabinet secretaries, among the Office of Management and Budget. We would have seen the profile of a much more extensive scandal, uh, something that would have uh, persuaded much of America that indeed this was a crime against the Constitution, and that would have had a big impact on the vote. No, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and you might be right. I'm just looking at the polling, which shows, you know, half of Americans already supported conviction and removal. Three quarters of Americans supported witnesses. Uh, the evidence that House managers brought forward from Trump employees, from members of you know the administration uh, was pretty damning. And yet you couldn't get more than one Republican senator to join you. Uh, in the vote today. That's how uh, that's how they've doubled down behind Donald Trump, the Republicans in the Senate. Well, think about it this way. The more the scandal penetrated various departments of President Trump's, Trump's administration, the Secretary of State or the State Department, the Department of Defense, you, of course, had the Foreign Service engaged in, in this. You had the Department of Energy engaged in this. The more determination of this administration to apply pressure to make sure that the lid was not lifted on this can of worms. And uh, that pressure in this very partisan age won out over the oath to do impartial justice and the oath to honor the Constitution. And of course, the Constitution in calling for the Senate to hold a trial, envisioned all of the protections of a trial for full justice, and that is witnesses and documents. So yes. people violated their oath to the Constitution and violated their oath of impartial justice because of that pressure. And that's what makes this a very tragic day in America. One person who says uh, he had to break with his party because of his oath to the Constitution, he said, because of his conscience, because of his faith, uh, was former Republican presidential candidate, the senator from Utah, Mitt Romney. Um, what did you make of his vote today to convict and remove a president from his own party? It was a powerful statement that he delivered. I happened to be walking by a television as, as he came onto the screen, so I heard at least a, a share of his statement. And this is extraordinarily difficult to do. Remember, you have the combined force of Mitch McConnell, who said he'd work hand in glove with the president towards to produce exoneration. You had 
all of these officials you, that uh, serve the president. You have this um, uh, extraordinary pressure to show that you are a member of the team, not the American team, not the team of senators assigned to do impartial justice, but the Republican team assigned to defend the, the president. And that individual, Mitt Romney, did something remarkable that will be remembered through the decades to come as an act of extraordinary courage and fidelity to an oath that he took, as he put it, uh, not just to the Constitution and not just in partial justice, but to do so before God. And just on the House Democrats who brought the articles of impeachment to the Senate, do you think there's anything they could have done differently either in the House or in terms of making their arguments in the Senate? What do you think about the Democratic approach to this whole thing? I don't believe there's anything else that they could have done that would have made a difference. Would I suggest to them that they had brought an emoluments clause? Yes. Would I suggest to them they should have brought forth an article of impeachment that addressed the four cases in the Mueller report in which Mueller found substantial evidence on all three key points of the law for obstruction of justice, including yes. one obstruction of justice that included witness tampering. Yes. Absolutely. In fact, on those four cases, we received a letter from over a thousand former federal prosecutors who yes. said anyone else in America would be indicted. I really disagreed with their decision not to lay out that set of cases. Yes, I would here. have liked to have seen the House uh, absolutely lay out the criminal issues. It is a crime to solicit foreign interference in an election. If that interference is worth over $25,000, it is a felony. And if you're holding up over $300 million of aid, you can anticipate the value of that contribution you're seeking is over $25,000. This was a felony act. The House did not make that clear. I do not believe any of those things would have changed the outcome. Mm. But I do believe it would have been a much fuller exploration addressing the criminal conduct of Donald Trump. Do you, do you think Democrats now should let this go or there's talk of actually expanding investigations back in the House, subpoenaing John Bolton? Do you support that? That's a decision for the, the House to make. I do feel that the window to explore this effort has, from my perspective, closed and that now we turn to the court of judgment that will occur in November with the election in the United States of America. And in that election uh, that's coming up, we saw the Iowa caucuses, uh, a little bit of a disaster for your party this week. Um, what did you make of the fallout from Iowa? You know, time and again, I've seen software rolled out when it hadn't been fully tested and create a fiasco. The city of Portland, Oregon, had a water billing system that was a complete disaster. The um, state of Oregon was not prepared for a clean rollout of the Affordable Care Act, and we had to resort to uh, to paper because the website was such a was such a mess. In this case, 
had we not had the, it just frust, it's frustrating that they hadn't learned the lessons mm. of that, that you have to do a full test. It's great to run a pilot project. It's great to make the use optional, but pre- be prepared for it not to work. I know that those who are evaluating this right now are going to make sure that it runs like clockwork four years from now. I don't consider this a major flaw in the, in the course. Think of this as the first lap of a 50-lap race. <laughs> and the, the track was messed up on that first track, on that first loop around the track, but it will be in good shape for the next 49 Senator, last time you were on the show back in 2018, you you said you were considering running for president yourself. You ended up deciding not to run. Uh, Do you have a candidate? Do you have a favorite? Have you picked anyone yet? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. No, I decided not to endorse, at least uh, for now and the near future. And I must say, it's partly to celebrate the tremendous number of folks who are bringing their talents to bear, uh, who have so much to say about putting our nation back on track, about taking on the challenge of carbon pollution that's destroying our our planet. And we see the ramifications all over my home state of, of Oregon, about taking on equality of opportunity for every American and certainly for the LGBTQ community and passing the Equality Act, for taking on the fundamentals for families to thrive, because there's four foundations, there's healthcare, there's education, there's housing, and there's good paying jobs. And there's so much work to be done. And so I celebrate the many ideas that have been put forward and the dialogue that's happened in this primary. And that group that you're celebrating, do you include in that um, former Republican mayor of New York, former George W. Bush supporter, Michael Bloomberg? Well, uh, he will soon be entering the contest. And... uh, I do have reservations about the fact that we've reached the point in the extraordinary maldistribution of wealth where a few individuals who have benefited so much from the infrastructure laid down by the preceding generation are in a position to essentially take a, a, a shortcut uh, to prominence in, in the election. Mm. I don't want to see a country... and basically where you have to be a mega millionaire to to run for office because we will not get the view of ordinary Americans expressed. I live in a blue collar community. I grew up in that blue car. My dad was a mechanic. Uh, we need more people who live in communities where families are experiencing the challenges of the shortcomings of government over the last four decades. One last question before I let you go. Just circling back to the president and impeachment, 
now that he's been, quote unquote, acquitted, are we going to see an even more emboldened and reckless Trump who thinks I can get away with anything? Is he going to do even more crazier, more criminal things between now and November because he believes there are no constraints on him? Well, I do think that those around him will try to constrain the craziest acts he might embark on, but that's never worked to date. Indeed. And in fact, the lesson that he can take from this is not that be wary about abusing your office, but that if you abuse your office, you have a partisan team that will make sure that neither the judicial process nor the impeachment process can hold you accountable. That is a horrific lesson. It's another reason today is a very dark and tragic day. On that note, Senator Jeff Merkley, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon speaking to me from the Senate. One of the most fascinating and depressing things about watching this trial has been the way in which Republicans and their enablers in the media have been gaslighting us on a near daily basis, making demonstrably false claims about how Republicans weren't allowed to question witnesses in the House, which is a lie, or how the impeachment process itself is a violation of the Constitution, which of course is a lie. One of the Democrats who's been best at calling out Republican hypocrisy, mendacity and gaslighting and calling out the media's failure to fully hold Trump and co. to account is Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii, who I would add is a very amusing politician to follow on Twitter. He joins me now on his way out of Capitol Hill on the phone after the vote. Senator Brian Schatz, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Happy to be here. You've just come out of the Senate vote. Uh, Donald Trump has been acquitted. Uh, what's your first reaction? Well, it's a, it's mixed feelings, and I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, this was horrifying uh, for American democracy, um, and partly because of the Dershowitz arguments that were being made uh, uh, over the final week, uh, it became even more worrisome, not just for Trump, but for any president. And the idea uh, that undergirds their theory of executive power is really dangerous uh, for our constitutional order. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is that just on a personal level, I was deeply disappointed in some of my Republican colleagues um, with whom I, uh, by necessity, have a functional working relationship. But to see them through this process um, disappoint me um, and not be willing to even vote for um, something that would resemble a fair trial uh, had gotten me down. Now, let me tell you the good news. The good news is that <clears throat> Mitt Romney um, change the equation. This is now the first instance of a uh, of a United States senator uh, voting to convict uh, a president of his or her own party. Yes, and that was an extraordinary act of courage. I worked really hard for Barack Obama and against Mitt Romney, and um, but but Mitt has become my friend. Mitt is an example of the Republican Party of the '70s and '80s and '90s, with which I, I disagreed. Uh, vehemently, but they were not doing the uh, institutional damage uh, that, that Trump's party is doing. So it was just uh, personally gratifying uh, for me to see that. And I think it's got political implications as to, uh, too, because they now have a bipartisan uh, guilty vote. And um, also Doug Jones, who represents Alabama, Joe Manchin, who represents West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema, uh, who represents Arizona, they all voted guilty yes. on both counts. All, so, all Democrats uh, in unusually, 
all Democrats in swing states all did the right thing and did it for the right reasons. And so uh, 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 perhaps unusually, but perhaps um, auguring well for unity and moral clarity, all of the Democrats were together and the Republicans were at least ever so slightly uh, split because I think yes. you, it, it, what, what Adam Schiff tried to attempt to do was really smart. He knew he wasn't going to win uh, a conviction, but he just wanted to prick the consciences, uh, not just of the nation, but of individual senators. And I thought it was extraordinary. And I was, uh, for the first time in probably several weeks, I was again proud to be part of this institution. Uh, so let me just pick up. You, you made a couple of points there. I just want to, I'll come back to Mitt Romney in a moment, and that was a fascinating vote by him. But just in terms of you mentioned kind of the implications for presidential power, you also mentioned your Republican colleagues. Let's just start with the Republican colleagues. You said you were disappointed. Isn't that a bit of an understatement, given it's not just that all of them but Romney uh, voted to clear the president, but they spent the last week or two, and you saw this up close and personal, not just saying, oh, we're going to defend the president, we're not going to vote to convict him, but just lying and not just like gaslighting on a daily basis, saying things like there's no new evidence and there's no need for witnesses and there are no witnesses and just the number of sheer lies they told over the last couple of weeks. Sure, but those are not the ones that disappointed me. And I know Tom, Tom Cotton and Marsha Blackburn and all of these uh, folks who, who make a living in that uh, sort of fever swamp <laughs> universe. Um, they, they, they're not capable of disappointing me. Um, Is but Susan Collins and Lisa Mikowski, are they still <laughs> capable of disappointing you even now? Susan did not disappoint me, and I will just leave it there. Um, but Lisa and I are friends, and she was there on the Brett Kavanaugh vote, and she was there on the Affordable Care Act vote, and um, she was uh, personally um, not sure what to do all the way to the end. And that was a personal disappointment uh, to me. What's um, but I think you're, you're right that, that the, the behavior to, to characterize what happened as disappointing is to understate uh, the sort of venal, craven, dishonest thing that's going on right now and to underestimate the potential impact. Now, yes. the, the, the silver lining on the Dershowitz um, uh, theory of the case is that, I mean, even the president's counsel basically benched him after he had that riff late at night. Um, it was sort of. I likened it to a, you know, a sort of a self-indulgent guitar solo, which starts out kind of interesting, but then sort of takes the song in a direction and everyone wants him to stop. <laughs> I mean, that, that was about Alan Dershowitz. Just to clarify and, for our listeners, he, you're referring to when Alan Dershowitz said, basically, if the president does something because he thinks he's going to get reelected, it's in the public interest. Whatever the president thinks is good for him is good for the country. Yeah, well, there's that. There was actually two arguments. One, that was sort of so facially outrageous that I don't know that anybody really embraced it. But the other one is a little more insidious because what they're basically saying is the president possesses power. And if he uses that power lawfully, uh, that it can't be impeachable. And that is exactly upside down because the reason you give uh, the impeachment authority to the Congress is because you're giving a president this extraordinary yes. constitutional power. So let me give you an example. If a president decided to use the pardon power, which is total, which is plenary, which is sort of unquestioned as a matter of law, if he decided to uh, pardon people only in blue states or red states or only people who were for him um, or punish those uh, who were against him, no one could say that he was unlawfully using his power. What we would say is he's abusing the authority um, in his possession and therefore must be impeached. And what Dershowitz does is turn that whole thing on its head 
and say, no, as long as it's an Article II power, it cannot be abused. But, but what's so, and that is terrifying. It's terrifying. But what's so amusing, of course, as you know, uh, once there's a Democratic president in office, they won't be pushing these legal theories at all. It's only, it's only lots of executive power if you're a Republican president. Well, fair enough. Um, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, one of our structural disadvantages is they are able to accomplish a lot of their goals, destroying the government's ability to think, uh, uh, doing everything they can to deregulate industries, um, uh, getting a lot of federal judges through. They don't need institutions to work in order to get what they want. We need institutions to work in order to pass our agenda. So the kind of maximalist sort of game theory, you know, the kind of internet strategist who says, why don't you guys kick more ass and be more um, tough? Fair enough. I think sometimes we are a little bit too focused on decorum and civility, but we do have to remember that we need these institutions and these guys don't. Um, They have what they need. Um, just as long as they can stack the federal judiciary and gut the administration. But you don't need, for example, a filibuster, which, uh, you know, Republican behavior in recent days is another reminder of why candidates like Elizabeth Warren, who say get rid of the filibuster, probably are more practical about what needs to be done under a Democratic president than maybe other candidates who think we can still work with the Republicans. Yeah, I think... uh, you know, listen. I, I think that we'll see if um, if, um, if whose theory of the case uh, ends up being right. But I have a strong, strong suspicion that the moment we have a Democratic president, whether it's anywhere, anywhere from Joe Biden to Elizabeth to Amy Klobuchar uh, 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 to to Bernie, um, that they will treat them the same, which is to block everything, Indeed. and then we'll have some decisions to make. And let me just circle back to Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney. Um, you mentioned that you know you were disappointed. You know what happened. One of the things Lisa Murkowski came was, oh, I was very upset when Adam Schiff mentioned. You know, a lot of these senators came out and said we're we're horrified that Adam Schiff could say that we're being threatened by the White House, that our heads will be on pikes. Was this CBS News report? The irony is today, after Mitt Romney voted to convict and remove Donald Trump, Donald Trump's failed son, Don Jr., took to Twitter to say he should be expelled from the GOP. Oh, the irony. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it was, it, yes, of course they um, they have heads on pikes. And by the way, I don't know, I work in politics. Heads on pikes is not an uncommon phrase, I hate to say it. When you're talking about um, uh, the consequences politically, electorally, that's one of the things people say. Maybe they shouldn't, but it's not so beyond the pale to imagine that a White House political advisor whether it's Eric Euland or Rahm Emanuel, frankly, who would talk like that. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. But I think the broader point is, remember, it was first that, that Nancy Pelosi used too many signing pens, right? Yes. And then it was Jerry Nadler used the word treachery. And then it was heads on pikes. And then it, and then it was Elizabeth Warren asked the question oh, yes. of the chief justice that got someone's nose out of joint. And um, my friend Sheldon Whitehouse, you know, we were sort of ruminating on what they do here because certainly you don't want to give um, them any openings to claim grievances and outrage. But in the end, you can't uh, execute perfectly and give them no aperture for outrage because they're looking for one. Yes. And especially in that moment when Adam Schiff had the room and I could feel their guilt emanating almost, it, I had a physical sensation of how they were experiencing their conscience for that moment. And then he said, and then he quoted the heads on Pikes thing. And then Tom Cotton started shouting yes. and James Langford, uh, you know, and what they and what they found was what Sheldon Whitehouse calls the outrage off ramp, that whatever Trump is doing, indeed, it is only just as bad as whatever the Democrats did. 
That's their get out, obviously. And one of the reasons I enjoy following you on Twitter, Senator, is you're one of the few uh, high profile Democrats who's willing to basically call out the fact that the Republicans now, the vast majority of them, are bad faith actors. You can't really take seriously a lot of what they say and their media enablers. Yeah. And they're I mean, it's it's it's, it's sad for me to say, but there are no moderates, you know, yeah, exactly. that you get, you know, now in the cable news world characterizes the moderate as someone who doesn't decide instantly the most right-wing thing, but eventually comes around, right? Yes. Pat Toomey's a moderate, Bob <laughs> Portman's a moderate, Pat Roberts is a moderate. I mean, they're not. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm never able to work with any of them, but the idea that you get your moderate card by not immediately racing to the Ted Cruz position is a sign of how, how much we've lowered the bar. And I certainly hope that people who used to find themselves attracted to conservative principles understand that not really a small C conservative party. This is a this is the corporatist party, and they are Trump's party. It's a, that's it's, it. Yeah, it's a, it's a Trump party indeed. Uh, just before we finish on Trump himself, now now that he's got this acquittal from his party, with the exception of Mitt Romney, what does this mean politically for him? Is this good for him? Is he emboldened? Can he kind of do a victory lap, or is he going to do more reckless, crazy criminal stuff like he did after the the Mueller report failed to land a blow? I have a hard time seeing around uh, too many corners right now. I think there are a lot of variables here, um, both in terms of his behavior and what he believes to be his uh, political imperatives. I mean, the one thing that I think is worth remembering, you know, there's a lot of uh, a retrospective analysis of the 2016 race. But one of the things that people forget is that in I don't want to I, I don't I'm not sure whether it was three or five weeks or even less than I don't know. I don't remember. But at the end of the race, Donald Trump stuck to a script. And so I think when he needs to, he's going to contain his um, worst political instincts and do poll tested stuff and look plausible for just long enough to try to capture back, you know, um, high income white women and the suburbs. So I don't think we should. I, I really believe that our strategy cannot depend on Donald Trump doing insane uh, things, because while that may happen, um, he may pull it together for seven weeks if he knows his political life um, uh, and possibly his freedom uh, depends on it. And you have no regrets about anything to do with this impeachment, how it was handled by the Democrats? No, I mean, I, I think in the big picture, we got everything right. I think the House managers did really well. Um, you know, everybody who's a lawyer or like an amateur lawyer like me has an idea of what should have been included in the articles. Like I my hobby horse was always the emoluments clause yeah. uh, of the Constitution because I think Agreed. it's such a clear violation. But I think part of what ended up in the articles was a function of what could get a majority in the House. And I don't think that those moderate Democrats who were just elected, lots of them with national security credentials, um, were ready to impeach on emoluments. They were particularly offended by this because it had foreign policy and national security implications. And it's a democratic process. So, I, you know, I lost out on that. But overall, I thought Manager Schiff, Jeffries, uh, Zoe Lofgren, the whole team was extraordinary. And I'm, I'm proud to be a Democrat. And um, I would just say we just have to go win this election. And, and on that note, last, last question, who's going to win the election for you? Do you have a candidate? I have no candidate. And that's just me being careful. That's, I don't have a candidate. I, I like a lot of them personally. I work with a lot of them personally. I would be thrilled to charge up the, the mountain for any of the major frontrunners. Including Bernie? Yes. Okay. Senator, Senator Brian Schatz, thanks so much for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you very much. 
That was Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii, reminding us that this impeachment trial has not just been about Ukraine or foreign policy or national security or the Bidens, but it's also reminded us of the importance of having checks and balances, of having limits on presidential power so that you have an elected president bound by the Constitution, not a functional monarch, and that you have a party in Congress that stands up for the country and isn't just a Trump cult. Anyways, next week, we won't be talking impeachment, but we will be talking law and order, crime and punishment, mass incarceration, and the crisis in America's prison system. How do you fix the criminal injustice system in the United States? That's the question I'll be asking my special guests, John Legend, musician, activist, philanthropist, and Patrice Cullors, activist, co-founder of Black Lives Matter. You can get tickets to be in the audience in LA next Monday, February 10th. And that special edition of Deconstructed will air later in the week. That's our show for today. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief, and I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.